0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Hostel Road Trip Podcast, the podcast that literally takes its show on the road. Listen in as James Black and Bobby Dyer, owners of International Travelers House Hostels, travel around the country to learn about these great locations and incredible people that come together to provide a unique and exciting experience for travelers from all over the world.
1: Welcome back to the Hostel Road Trip podcast. We are still trucking through the Southeast on season three. Happy to be here with Joe Hinman, founder and creator of the Modal, which is a new hostel and the second ever hostel in South Carolina. Correct. Correct. Yep. Thanks for being with us, Joe. You're welcome. And we appreciate you working with our time constraints as we are traipsing through the Southeast. And our next stop is Hostel in the Forest later this evening. We just finished a great recording with Joe Gill, in Asheville, North Carolina, and talked about a few of his locations. But we're excited to talk with you here as you have another unique situation that can be relative to a lot of the industry listeners of taking a former dentist office, and fully rehabbing it, gutting it out, and transitioning it into not only a hostel, but a cool place for the local community to come enjoy themselves, as well as some amazing outdoor space that you're gonna be able to use for events and other type of music gatherings and things like that. So definitely an exciting time for you as I know you've been working on this for many years. Yeah. And also an exciting time for Greenville as they've got something cool coming whether they know it or not. Right. But we like to always start off a bit and talk about your personal journey and how you got exposed to hostels and what made you crazy enough to wanna try this. (laughs) and passionate enough to keep going through all the trials and tribulations. So tell us a bit about your hostile exposure and how you got into it.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I, um, I tell people you have to be just a little bit insane yeah. to want to do this. Um, and for me, honestly, it goes back into a little bit of college career. Um, I was originally a studio art major in college. And I realized I didn't want to be a studio artist, so I decided to pivot and went into the business realm. But I kept art as a minor, because nice. that was more of that passion. Um, that was more of what I needed for myself to feel like I had um, a little bit of, of, of value and freedom in my hobby. Yeah. Um, and so in my career as a marketing professional and a designer, I ended up working for an agency and traveling across the US oh. um, back in 2014. When I moved out of Greenville, mm-hmm. um, I'm a native from this town. I've been here. I'm really proud of this town. Yeah. Um, but I also realized, you know, uh, in order to personally improve, I needed to get outside of the city I grew up in and go um, explore a little bit. So I moved to Denver, actually. Oh, and um, Fine city. When I moved out to Denver, I took a job where I, I traveled about nine months. Uh, I was in Denver, but I was kind of a, a satellite, if you will, in that sense that I was – Traveling all across the U.S., selling products with the NASCAR circuit. NASCAR. So yeah, it yeah. was uh, it, it was definitely a, a niche situation yeah. <laughs> where I was uh, slinging sunglasses uh, at NASCAR <laughs> races. So that was a really cool experience. Uh, aside from just the job itself, I got to spend a lot of my off time exploring towns and cities and. Went to about 40 states in nine months. You were a
1: digital nomad. Yeah, yeah,
2: I was. And I realized uh, in that experience how much Greenville had to offer. Uh um, But I also realized how much uh, interest I had in the exploration of starting my own business. And so when I ended that job, uh, I had an opportunity in Greenville to come back. Mm -hmm. And so I took a corporate job. And that's... When I transitioned back into this town, I realized that there was a a major missing component, and that was a hostel. Mm. Um, (coughs) Let me go back, though. When I was in Denver, I loved the city. I loved what Denver had to offer, but I would go away on the weekends to go explore other places, and I came across a hostel. And that was actually my first time experiencing a hostel. I knew what they were in Europe. I had heard about them. I had friends who had stayed in them. But I had never done the European hostel Ah. in And so the only experience I had was an American hostel. What was the name of that one? um, It was the Bibby, actually. The Bibby, okay. And uh, I, I just... I actually had recommended the property. I hadn't even stayed there. I just found it online. I recommended it to my brother and his wife, and they took an anniversary trip there, which you would never think, hey, let's go. (laughs) You know, you may not. Yeah, Yeah, uh, yeah. so, but they came back, and they were like, Joe, this is one of the coolest places we've ever been to. You've got to go check it out. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up going there a couple times that summer and just really fell in love with the experience of hosteling Mm -hmm. as an American um, and, and blown away that, I could stay in Breckenridge of all places, yeah. um, for such a low cost, you know, yeah. and and yet still meet people from all over the country and the world and all age groups and all that stuff. So when I came back to Greenville, I had no intention of starting a hostel. I just knew that I wanted to start a business at some point in my career, and I just happened to have a friend call me up and said, you know, hey, I know you're moving back to Greenville. I'd be interested in getting commercial real estate and yeah. I thought oh, that's not really my thing but let's talk mm-hmm. and it became my thing because after we started talking I realized you know okay maybe I don't want to be a landlord but maybe if we could find a property and we can make it something I'm really passionate about then I'd be into it yeah and um, we were sitting in the kitchen and I just said oh my god Greenville needs a hostel and that was the first thought um, okay. and that was the seed if you will yeah, of yeah. this bigger idea and mm-hmm. um, and he immediately was like yeah yeah oh my god yeah that's absolutely so from that conversation on we started um, reaching out to other locals who were kind of in the small business realm in the creative realm yeah those who I would think would stay at a hostel those yeah. who might have stayed in hostels elsewhere and just kind of get a feel, you know, am I crazy? Am, yeah, is, this, yeah. is this really something that we need or is this just something I want, you know? Yeah. And um, th- so that's how it started. And then, you know, here we are four years later and I'm, s- you know, sitting in a property that we've been working at making fit that need for almost a year and a half now. So
1: That's really cool. And I, I think that's a unique but really inspiring instance that most people would find their experience abroad. They would right. say like, oh, we should bring this back. Right. where we're from and I always think that is a really cool experience when someone finds it and then tries to take it back to their hometown yeah to try to you know expose that experience that they've found maybe to the locals and the, the younger people and expand their horizons mm-hmm. but also expand the community's horizons by giving this portal or this base for people that are artistic creative international travelers that digital nomads, right. now they've got a place to stay. And I've often found in my experience that the community a lot of times might be resistant up front, but they end up benefiting greatly yeah. from the yeah. actual hostel be coming in. So it's cool that you guys actually got that exposure in America. So it shows right. that we're continuing to yep. progress this industry and showing that it can be done. But as we saw at the American Hostel Conference we were both at uh, last week uh, or earlier this week, um, It's so cool at that conference to see people that are trying to open up. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily people that are industry savants or uh, investors that are trying to get in because they see the margins and the benefit of it, which is there and can be inspiring in a way. But that's very much how a lot of these larger hostel conferences are. And that's why I really like Vicky's conference, because you have this wide range of people that are going there and seeking to get some tutelage further inspiration, information on how to get it done. And yourself and another person, uh, Carolyn from Cream City in Milwaukee, another good example of someone who's had the battle
0: of going through
1: years of ups and downs and close calls and disappointments Mm -hmm. and landmines you don't expect. Uh, But share a bit about your experience of the challenges you met of trying to bring the first ever hostel to Greenville and only the second hostel in South Carolina. Yeah. So, uh, what was that process like?
2: Well, it was a lot of um, research initially. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little disconcerting when you start the process. Obviously, everyone goes to Google right off yeah. the bat. But when you Google and there's nothing coming back, and you're like, "Is there a reason no one's opening these? Yeah, like, yeah, should yeah. I really should should this should I be cautious? Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't actually. Um, until I went to the conference last year, that I felt this overwhelming peace of mm-hmm. I'm not crazy. Uh, like yes. I came back and I told David and my partner, I said, um, I've never been somewhere where I met people who were doing exactly what I'm doing, yep. and I felt finally validated. Yes, um, you know the process has been yes four years. I mean within within the the that initial conversation in the kitchen. It was two weeks by the time we were looking at properties. I yeah. mean, we were, we were, I was aggressive. I yeah. wanted, I wanted to open something in a year. I mean, I was mm-hmm. like, I can do this. You yeah. Know, Come yeah, on. Yeah. And especially since we were looking at properties that quickly, I thought, oh my God, this can happen so fast. Um, right. And, and with that, I also kind of started wrangling excitement within the community because um, I just, I w- I wanted it to happen, so I was kind of speaking it into existence in that sense. And I might have, I guess, in hindsight, I would say I might have stirred the pot a little too early. Yeah, yeah. Um, but not necessarily in a regretful way. I think when we started looking at properties, we looked at um, mainly three main sites before we ended up here. Mm-hmm. And to to look and for those of you who are about to start a hostel, you know, th- the biggest thing I would say initially is don't get your emotions involved yes because um, uh, i was especially as a creative like you see something and you paint the walls before the foundation's built Uh, you know you just you you can imagine it and i would go home and i'd whip out SketchUp and i would do these elaborate drawings of what it could be you know and i don't think that was a bad thing Mm -mm. but at the same time it was we had to go through feasibility studies with the city. Then you had to sit down and talk with engineering about both structural and everything from utilities. You know, it, the first property we're looking at was pretty much in the heart of the city. And once you add bathrooms to the quantities we wanted to add, mm. that it, that that impacts infrastructure. Yeah, and those are the kinds of things. Me as a a marketer and a creative never had considered like, Oh, the number of toilets and showers you have impacts the water, you know? Like, so for me, it was a major learning curve and we spent probably six to nine months on that one property. And then it was, uh, there's no way we can spend that kind of money to flip it. And then it was, okay, let's pivot and look at some other properties. And Mm so we did that two or three times. And then, um, we realized you know I, I also I'm not sitting on a nest egg I'm not you know someone who's got deep deep pockets mm-hmm. and so for myself and I, and I think that's the norm I would yeah. say for most of the owners I've met yeah. is a lot of it's bootstrap, a oh, lot yeah. of it's you know organic and and a lot of people open when they they, um, they open on a shoestring budget with the intent of growing it to be something more mm-hmm. and I totally respect that um, and for us, we wanted to be creative in the different ways to approach funding, which yeah. is the biggest, like, uh, that would be my biggest hurdle by far. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you can you can convince somebody to need something, but if you don't have the money to make it happen, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and so for us, it was um, when we were looking at those properties, making sure that we kept in mind our, our own feasibility from a financial standpoint. And yeah. we had a property under contract that Again, I walked in and I was like, "Oh my word, this is it!" This you know, like ah, I was—I yeah. I literally, yeah, I, I would have bet money on it. Mm-hmm. And um, again, we did feasibility. You know, we had a partner, and investor at the time, who was really, really supportive and uh, extremely gracious, and acted more as a mentor mm-hmm. um, through that almost a year of. Due diligence on that property, and spent a significant amount of money just testing the soil. Another thing I never would have thought—soil,
1: yeah—you yeah. know,
2: things that you just you just start throwing money at. Yeah. And so it it could have definitely derailed me. It could have made me extremely mm-hmm. depressed and yeah. felt like you know why am I doing? And trust me, I had those thoughts. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, But it was it was not only my partners in the in the process that were helping you know keep me um, uh, my me- my m- mental state. Healthy, but it was also really the community. I, you know, I did reach out to a lot of people in the community. We did what's called an Indiegogo crowdfunding nice. um, campaign, and we did that in order to make the community feel like they could be part of what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And one thing we talked about a lot at the conference is the stigma
1: yes. of
2: hostile that term. Whole like, other thing to overcome. People don't yeah. even know what it is, yeah. and and we had the same situations. We'd walk into a meeting and we'd say that term and the person would look at us either with a scowl yes. or a question mark and be like, can,
1: neither can face is good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, especially
2: yeah. when you're looking for permission. And, yeah, and, uh, yeah. And so I ended up uh, realizing you know, our biggest benefit is the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and David and I are both very passionate about keeping the community involved as much as possible. Nice. Um, not just the creative community, but the community at large. Uh, we want to make sure the the neighborhood's love what we're doing we want to make sure that the other natives who have been here 50 60 years mm-hmm. and their families are still living in the same homes we want them to know like even though what we're doing may be progressive or different mm-hmm. that we are doing it for them and yeah, with them to benefit and them. and that was our way of saying that yeah. um sure we raised some money out of it and it helped with some of those upfront costs that i never had thought about yeah um but it was also a, a a mechanism to really help educate um, yeah. what the hostel means and what that can mean to the community.
1: Yeah, and I'm you know, i just re- thinking back to earlier today with our episode with Joe Gill over in Asheville and he talked about in, in his early trials and tribulations, you know, those nights when he would just literally be laying there crying, you know, yeah. like, oh, like yeah. you, you were just in moments of desperation at some point. Mm-hmm. And I think it it's so sad to think of all of the people and good people, creative people, people that would have made great hostels that gave up. You you think about all of the over the years, either because of the stigma or just the overall frustration or the opposition of the community or the people in the permit or zoning or city ordinance department. You know, for listeners out there, you're not alone in that way. Right. And, you know, sometimes when you feel that element of am I crazy? Is this possible? That's a big reason why we're doing this podcast is to give a kind of a resource for people to listen to yeah. almost for support and comfort in that yeah. way. Because we went through the same thing out in San Diego where we went through several buildings. And mm-hmm. I remember the same thing you're mm-hmm. talking about. You walk in and you feel like the sunlight just takes yeah. you.
0: <gasps> you're, like, you're floating <laughs> through like, yeah. this is it. It's and an ethereal and, experience. Yeah, and, you
1: know, and you're already designing in your right. head. You're measuring shit. And then some guy comes up to you and says like, oh, and by the way, this window's too small. Yeah, And because yeah. of that, you're like,
0: window too yeah. small
1: like i and you can't touch it because it's historical or it doesn't have ada da, da, da. or you need it,
2: 12 parking spaces and there's only two outlets. yeah and you're yeah. like
1: ah you know right. and so I, I think it's important that you do keep on trucking and then in a lot of ways in our experience of being on the road and doing this podcast is that so many times people then just like you said earlier today mm-hmm in retrospect you're like oh thank lord that building yeah. didn't work right. out right and, yeah and, for sure and thank goodness these didn't work out because i ended up in the best one i could have you know so i think that's a, a very valuable for listeners to hear but now we find ourselves finally in the building yeah. and we're sitting in here and you know it's so exciting to see the bones of the house exposed mm. the idea and the flow is put together you've got tape on the floor to line yeah. out the reception you can see where all the outlets are for the bunks and how you've gone through the place to create this not only cool hostel experience, but also a cool community center, yeah. if you will, for so many other things to happen. But now, maybe talk a bit about you're in the building now. Now you've got your mm, baby, mm-hmm, you've got your girl, mm-hmm. and now a whole other war or battle comes into sure. play. Sure. And you had mentioned one, for example, where because of some. You know, obscure rule in your town post 2014 now you need sprinklers so there's 20 grand you didn't expect that you would have had you know what are some of the uh other you know struggles and you know curveballs that you've experienced within this place that have you know maybe delayed or made it more difficult than you thought
2: um well first off kudos for you guys doing the podcast because if i had been able to listen to this two years ago i would have been like oh now i know what i'm getting into maybe i I wouldn't have done it though if i i'd probably be like adam convinced me don't do it just stay in that cubicle and suffer (laughs) um but uh yeah no it's uh, so when when that house or that other property it wasn't a house it was a a fully commercial property when that fell through and, and my investor at that time looked at me and said joe this isn't the right property for you
1: mm.
2: i mean i was devastated yeah. i mean i was i if if i had let my emotions come over me i would have cried i would have just lost yeah, it
1: yeah.
2: um but i walked out of there a little bit more just like fired up resilient that i'm gonna prove you yeah wrong. yeah and then two days later our contract was up and i had no building so i was like <laughs> oh no he proved me wrong um but it was it my partner at the time um and and now my my um uh landlord partner called me uh, I called him and kind of was begging him and uh, asking him to purchase this building and he he too in a like very wise and just patient way was like you know what that's, that's probably not the right place for you but i have another one huh. and he said why don't you come check this out you know i'll i'll bring sandwiches and we'll sit down and yeah. we'll talk and yeah. i was like man you're such a good like yeah. That's convince enough. her of yeah. like wh- why I should go with this route. He's like, I'm not going to try to convince you. That's yeah. not my intent. I just want to. I just want to talk. And yeah. it's like, I was so low, um, I guess emotionally at that point too, that I just was like, you know what? This is all I've got. This yeah. is the only chance um, yeah. I have left. And so, walking into a building that's a, an existing dentist office, mm-hmm. and you're you're walking the halls and you see X-ray signs and you yeah. see like weird stuff that you have no idea what it does and you're you're trying in your mind to erase those things especially when you're kind of still a little bit uh butthurt about the last yeah, yeah. like go around that you're like like i don't even i'm not even happy that i'm in this place <laughs> and just to let all that go again that emotional yeah, trauma yeah, yeah. and um and so and, and of course i was eager just to, to to latch onto something else i think again that once he cast the vision for what could be in this place and we talked and we had that, that just breather session, um, I saw it. Mm. I saw it and I saw it more completely than I had. And I realized I, I really did see the other negatives of the former property as a limitation. And I, at that point, like you said, you realize you're happy. Yes. That you dodged that bullet.
1: Yeah.
2: And, um, I think a lot of it had to do with shame too like you feel you've told you've told your whole community you were going to do this yes. thing and you, you even took money like you even yeah. you convinced people and yeah. and i i felt guilty for that sure, um, sure. but then responsible in a exactly way. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. um and so there was a lot of people asking after uh, that change they're like so you know how's the building coming out oh well we didn't get that one we're moving to another one yeah. and so once we were into this space um, I think first off, it was what can we do the least to yeah. make it work?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, again, cut costs. Like again, let's, better
1: as you go. Yeah, let's yep.
2: let's just you know this one. It's already got ten rooms. It's already yeah. got like a great floor plan. It's already got a lot of bathrooms. Yeah, because it's a dentist office. You got sinks in every bed or mm-hmm. every piping um, for yeah, it. Right? It's yeah, it's already kind of segmented in the ways you wanted. And so, um, and and you asked, you know, what were some of those hurdles for us? it was because there was no uh, category within the city ordinances about a hostel oh, so that tough. you have to find where you fit, yeah. right? And so for us, it was bed and breakfast was the most palatable. Most comfortable, um, yeah. and, and yet we still had to figure out some variances to that code to fit what we were doing because even bed and breakfast – ordinance doesn't look at your business plan this is one of my biggest frustrations with city code is they don't look at your business plan to see how your business functions they look at your categorization yes and even though we're non-traditional and so for instance with parking bed and breakfast is only allowed at one parking space per guest room and then two for the live-in manager and i'm like well wait a second i'm gonna have Potentially thirty guests in this yeah. property. Five parking spaces is not going to do it, yeah. you know. And it was that kind of conversation where we had to go back and forth and be like, you know, yes, we put it on paper as this, but yeah. can we can we explain that it really is going to function this mm-hmm. way? And the yeah. functional part is what I had to constantly fight for. Yes. So that it really maintained the vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us, weird things like a state. Bed and breakfast can have ten bedrooms in South Carolina, but within our city we can only have five. Uh-huh. So I thought, oh, perfect property. We've already got ten rooms. Yeah. No, no major like architectural drawings or changing of walls and studying up and all. No. So we had to pretty much once we realized that we were uh, limited by that. You know, again, this is where a really good partner comes in play. Mm. Someone who's willing to do it right yeah. and do it right the first time. Mm. Um, and he was like, you know, let's, let's sit down with our architect, let's discuss this. And so we started redrawing. The, I mean, I probably drew the floor plans 15 times <laughs> just to make it work, but yeah. also to make it the best. Yeah, you know, you yeah. really, the nice thing too, is we, we've got the flexibility that we're not, you know, held to a lease right now mm. that, um, our investors have been really patient and given us that flexibility. And that's another reason why if you've got the time, take it. Don't rush to open just to be open. True. Um, true. The numbers obviously matter in the sense that you want to start making money to pay for this. But if you open premature, you get bad reviews, it's all a hospitality situation of you want to make sure that you open with your best foot forward. And so we gave ourselves the time to do a good floor plan that we were happy with and and i mean i would think i was done and then i'd walk it i would come in here and i would literally walk for hours just walking it thinking what's gonna go here and even even down to the furniture and then i would be like no i want this here and then i'd run back to david and be like wait can we can we is it it too late to change it like we haven't done the work and and he would he was flexible you know And so, and even once contractors came in and I saw something going in that like wiring, like you were talking about power outlets, like if you want something to be specific, you have to be there. Mm. And that's another challenge is, um, I was working a full-time eight to five corporate America job while I'm having contractors in my property making changes. And I'm like, ah, Uh. you know, and I'd come back and I'd, I'd. I felt like I was, uh, again, a little bit anal, sure. but I was just like, I want it done right, and I need it done a specific way. Yeah, um, yeah understandable. So I, I, going back to the property itself, I think the biggest hang-ups, and this is I, I from what I've heard across the country at the conference and from other owners, is terminology, making sure that you educate the city on what a hostel really is, mm-hmm. and, and go into those meetings with examples. Yes. Go in with examples that you want to emulate, not just any example. Because some hostels you could put in front of the city and they'd go, "We don't want that." that Some hostels, you know, they'd be like, "That's amazing!" And Mm -hmm. you want it. And and to be quite fair, actually, the city when I presented initially, they were all about it. Loved it. Sometimes
1: you get that. Yeah. And
2: and I thought, we got them. Mm -hmm. This is great. Mm -hmm. But then it doesn't trickle down into the departments. It doesn't trickle down into code enforcement. It doesn't Mm -hmm. trickle down into the the person you're seeing every day yeah and so it's really a, uh, the most important key is communication and documentation making documentation. sure that you keep track of yeah. those conversations yep. you have emails to validate mm-hmm. and and it's not because you're trying to be antagonistic it's because you're trying to be a good business person to cover your ass exactly yeah because yeah. um, i
1: think it's often a misconception a lot of times you're a city council member who's a politician wants to tell you yes, wants to appear pro-business, wants to make everyone happy. Correct. But then when you get down to the departmental person that has to put their name on the paper, they don't want to sign it. Exactly. And they'll push you off to another department. And no one really wants to be held responsible if it goes wrong. Right. So that is a great piece of advice of connecting the dots for them to show them, like, oh, no, well, the city councilor said this or the chief zoning guy said this. So Mm -hmm. now I've got this email from him or this letter from him. Or I've even had it, no, I've got this voicemail and I'm gonna play it for you yeah. right now, yeah. you know, and exactly. make them listen to it or show them a text. And I think that's a great way to keep your paper trail. Because yeah. even when you, and I've had this experience personally, we had properties that we looked at that didn't work out, but we had gotten some type of concession from the city that right. they agreed to. Yeah. And we were able to pull that back out. Like, well, on this property that we didn't actually open, but you did say this was okay. And we're right. still in the same city here. And you'll kind of corner them in their own sure. game, uh, and they're not expecting that persistence a lot of times from a hostile person because they're thinking you're some hippie or some you know, right. you know artist. You know that's going well, David, daughter.
2: David is very adamant about the due diligence on our end to prove to them that we're willing to do the work. We're yeah. willing to show you that we did the research. We, you know, we went and found what we could. Mm-hmm. But in some instances, either the code was so ambiguous, yeah, or it was just confusing, yeah. and you needed someone on their end to interpret for you. yeah. And so we would come, even with our architect or engineer, and say what we felt like it stated yeah. and what we believe we were able to do. Mm. And they would appreciate when you've gone through and you've done the homework. You've, yeah. you've spent the time. they you respect that? And so that's the way to build, um, I guess, some... Uh, some rapport with exactly. them. Exactly, yeah, yes. Yeah,
1: I agree completely. Well, so we've gotten to the point of now that we are building out this experience... We've got it coming possibly sometime by this summer, looking like by next fall for sure. So we're going to take a quick break here for our sponsorship, but when we dive back in, we're going to hear more about the modal experience from the guest perspective and also what Greenville has to offer for travelers coming through of all sorts. So stay tuned for more hot topics from South Carolina's Second Hostel.
0: We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Hostel Road Trip Podcast. We're taking a moment now to talk about a great service called WorldPackers.com. WorldPackers.com is actually how I got my start with the Hostel Road Trip Podcast. WorldPackers is a great service that connects travelers looking for a place to stay in a new city with the hostels who need their skills. You can do anything from house cleaning to reception to media and marketing and so much more. With a reasonable fee of $50 a year and a little bit of courage, you could find yourself anywhere in the world. For more information, just go find Grandpa Carlos surfing on the West Coast somewhere between California and Mexico. If you're having trouble finding him this way, he might be taking a siesta on his surfboard. If that's the case, scream to the heavens, Grandpa Carlos, we need you, and he'll be sure to answer the call. But if all else fails, just check out WorldPackers.com. That's W-O-R-L-D-P-A-C-K-E-R-S.com. And now, we bring you back to your regularly scheduled program.
1: Welcome back to the Hostel Road Trip Season 3 already. I can't believe it. It's just been flying by. We are in Greenville, South Carolina, in our second-to-last episode of Season 3 before Mark Needham and I go jump into a hot sweat pit down at the hostel in the forest and let out about a week's worth of drinking (laughs) and raging on the road. I feel like Slash and Axel from Guns N' Roses. And we are back with Joe Hinman, founder, creator, spiritual advisor of Modal, (laughs) and we want to talk more about now, a little less industry shop talk, and a little bit more about tourism, backpackers, digital nomads, and all the great travelers that are going to be able to come through here and the experience they're going to have. Now, right off the bat, what I thought was cool when you were bringing us in is that we had a little bit of a compartmentalization within the building so that you'd have private guest space in their own space Mm -hmm. to know they're safe and secure to enjoy themselves. But you also have an idea to have a space for the community to come in and enjoy Mm -hmm. the place. Tell us a bit more about that.
2: Yeah, so like I was saying earlier, community is a huge part of Mm -hmm. what we want. And with modal and what modal exists to do, it's it's always been uh, an intent to make modal kind of the artistic creative hub mm-hmm. of the city nice. so that if you're a guest coming from out of town and you want int- you know immediate entrance into that creative culture which you're most comfortable in as yeah. a creative, mm-hmm. um, we would be that place for you. Yeah. And so the intent is to provide space both for the locals mm-hmm. in the lobby area in the reception area where they can have a, a, a beer on tap from a local That's brewery, awesome. they can have um, coffee you know we've got mm-hmm. some really great coffee roasters in our yeah. area. Um and and give a space for that mingling to happen. Yes, a lot of hostels are, are antagonistic or are, are not necessarily antagonistic, but closed off to the, the local community Which because is a of, big mistake. Yeah, yeah, because I, I feel like again, if you really want to educate, you got to bring them in, mm-hmm. and it's not even if it's not into the building itself. Yeah. There's ways to bring food trucks around the property, have outdoor venue mm-hmm. opportunities, and. Um, You talked
1: about barbershop maybe or something like that. Yeah, you know, work with other local creatives,
2: local uh, business owners to give them a space that they can, uh, you know, build more of a name for themselves, almost like an incubator space where they can afford to come cut here, but they may not be able to have their own storefront yet. Or um, Give some of these new creatives a platform to really spread their wings.
1: It's almost the perfect marriage of experiences, if you ask me, because Mm. so many travelers will come in in Alaska Hotel Concierge Where do the locals go? But little do you know, unless you've worked in the hotel business or the restaurant business, those concierges are paid off by the restaurant people to send them to the tourist places. So you're never really going to get a straight answer. Also, another common thing is that those hotel people don't want to tell you where the local spaces are because they don't want to see you afterwards. (laughs) So you have that uh, divide going on. So it's so cool when you have these models of a hostel popping up that are community-centered and a guest walks in that's a digital nomad or an international traveler, and they say, where do the locals drink? Ten feet away, buddy. They're in yeah. here yep. already. Yep. And then from the local perspective, what more exciting thing to have a little bit of flair, a little bit of variety, a little bit of spice in life, and have some different people coming into exactly. town, just besides the people that you drink with every night or yep. hang out with all the time. So then that draws in those local people because you have this world coming to you aspect exactly. of things going on. So. I love the marriage of the two in those ideas. But another thing that we've seen traveling through this uh, southern southern area or southeastern states is the music. Yeah. So cool how much of a profound influence the music has on the community. And you were talking about housing bands and things like that. Tell us a bit more about that.
2: So uh, this, again, comes to finding a good partner who's got different passions, but Mm -hmm. then play well to what you're doing, too. And uh, all along, I was focused on more of the the digital nomad, the creative, the designer, photographer who's coming through my town and to do work. Uh, But, you know, David is focused on another uh, demographic, and that's the – musician and he loves his festivals he loves um local bands he loves his one of his best friends has a band so he's always looking for ways to support that and most recently he's opened his own music venue which plays really well to what we're doing here is we want to make sure that we'll probably be one of the only venues that can say hey look we'll we'll host you Mm -hmm. in our space to perform, but we also host you mm-hmm. overnight, so we've got yeah. it all covered. You don't yeah. have to. You don't have to worry about finding lodging. You don't have to worry about the stress of being on the road. Yeah, we really want bands to feel like um, we've we've got that turnkey experience. It's going to cause them to want to come back and play with us. Yeah. you know, um, but also to for a band to stay in the hostel, it's it gives them a chance to meet other people, other bands, other uh, creatives. That who knows what could come out of that too. Yeah. So and if
1: you're a guest too, that's a really cool thing. If like you saw this band play, and then you realize that next morning at breakfast, like holy shit, yeah, that's they're the band. sitting right there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a really cool mesh that you have going on right there. And then when you put into play that you're surrounded by so many cities of influence that are known as yeah. these meccas of music, like Asheville mm. and Nashville. So if you put yourself on the map as a place that they can stop into when right. they're on the road, right. I'm sure you're going to get more and more acts that are interested in staying and popping in and doing the exchange. And that turns my attention to the next really cool part and unique part about this property, all your outdoor space. Yeah. How many acres yeah. do you have here? Uh, immediately there's about six. That's huge. Right. it's so much cool outdoor potential that you literally could run on a festival, mm-hmm. have all these different events and outdoor space to do it, and do you have any uh, plans or ideas on how you're going to, like, put those events into play? Or is that kind of still in its raw form?
2: Uh, it's definitely – it's it's in the works. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of – again, that's David's baby yeah. um, is that the overall kind of development plan yeah. of creating a space within the city that, yeah. that cultivates all of those components. Yeah. And um, he, he's very passionate about keeping Greenville green. Yeah. But, but still – Having other concepts, whether it's retail or commercial, come to complement what's happening here. Mm-hmm. So modal is really kind of that first major player in mm-hmm. this specific area. Nice. And um, yeah, for the you know for the short term, while that's basically all that cleared land just sitting there, yeah. it's it's going to be uh, ripe for uh, any kind of festival.
1: Have you thought about any type of outdoor accommodations like teepees, yurts? We are open like to it. I, yeah. I think
2: I mentioned at the conference too. One thing I want to make sure we protect is the fear factor. Yeah. If we start popping up tents and like create nah, a village yeah, vibe, yeah, yeah. the city may it look feel more a little commune. Yeah, in this, yeah, you know, yeah. So, yeah, so. so I want to kind of prove our reputation before we start adding those accommodation um types that's smart but we're totally open to but
1: exciting for you that as you establish and grow there's room to grow right because that's another thing that a lot of operators will run into is that oh my god I nailed it this works it's great and I am turning people away all the time now and that's often a lot of times when you'll see a second place open up and take some of that wind that your momentum that should be yours but I definitely can see as I was walking around as you guys were setting up all the gear You know, I could see the food trucks. I could see the music venue. I could see the community coming in. I could see the people staying here. You know, you could have yoga retreats out there. You could have so many beautiful things that uh, just raw potential out there in the land that. If I were you, I'd be super excited. And if I were Greenville and potential backpackers coming to Greenville, I'd be excited to see that. Now, as far as, you know, the backpackers options within this place, what type of room setups do we have? And what are the price ranges going to be?
2: So we, um, that was one thing I really wanted to ensure was a a variety of options. Mm -hmm. Uh, As you saw, we have a four-bedroom dorm. We have a six-bedroom dorm. We've got a 12-bedroom dorm. Mm -hmm. And uh, we will have designated male only and female only, but then our largest dorm will be co-ed. So you've got an option for everybody based on preference when it comes to gender categorization, and then you've got one private room once we open, mm-hmm. um, the potential of adding a second. Nice. So um, some some people, specifically probably the older demographic, aren't as accustomed to the idea of hostel, yes. and so they may not want that shared room. So mm-hmm. I was very adamant. I wanted to make sure we always had a private room yes. option. Mm-hmm. And if it's booked, it's booked, but at least we had it. Yes. Um, and then you can always encourage them to try a dorm room or encourage them to experience what real hosteling is about ease them into it exactly and so um I we can sleep about 28 Mm guests and um that, I feel like, is kind of that sweet spot. We talked
1: about sweet spot. That I did definitely... not
2: want to be a big hostel. I did. I never wanted to be over 50. I
1: knew that. Yeah, that's a different line. Yeah. But I
2: just, I, I wanted to really protect the um, intimacy that mm. you get with a smaller property um, yeah. and the, the boutiqueness of that experience. Mm. Um, obviously, it helps with cost. You know, I'm paying for less sure. everything. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, um, I feel like, I'm still being able to achieve what I set out to do, Um, and to I personally, as the owner and operator, want to be able to name everyone who stays in my property. You know, I don't want to feel like 30 people checked in and I never got to say hi or meet any of them, and I'm at breakfast in the morning and I don't know who's sitting across from me. Like, I want to be able to feel like I have the ability to have that personal touch point when they check in, and so keeping it under 30 really allows for that.
1: It's an amazing difference when you cross that line and as someone has experienced it, is we started with an 18-bed hostel and then you know now our biggest one is 130 and I almost have like a panic attack when yeah. I'm in there because sometimes I don't even know all the staff anymore mm. and that's horrifying because yeah, I, yeah. I used to hire everyone Yeah. and I used to make pancakes for all the guests and I knew all of them by name and it can have such a drastic effect on your reviews your occupancy mm-hmm. your morale your experience your feng shui like right, everything right. goes in lessons and diminishes yep. as you cr- climb that number up and i i am just a, such an advocate of the 50 bed and less hostel model as a person that's experienced it for a while so i think mm-hmm. you you hit the nail on the head as far as number there now what about price range what are we going to be looking at for bunks so uh,
2: with our property the the I, I don't love the term postal. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I definitely have put a lot more energy and time as the creative into mm-hmm. the experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think people are willing to pay for an experience. They are. Yeah. Uh, and so not for the sake of gaining revenue, but for the sake of sustainability, mm-hmm. um, our property price point will probably be for the private, like um, for the private room that's gonna fluctuate based on market to sure. be honest. I still want it to be the more affordable option, mm-hmm. so I'll always swing to the lower end of what the market's um, willing to pay. For the dorm rooms, it's probably going to be in the forty to fifty yep. um, a bed per which, night,
1: which is not outrageous anymore. Because as you did say, the word "postal," and you have a lot of these larger hotel brands and venture capitalists, and they just have so much money right. that they can pump into it. And now you find it very common to see bunk prices in cities $60, $70, 80 dollars a night, right. which uh, as an industry person who's been in it for a while, that was unheard of five, ten years ago, uh, and it was more like twenty-five, thirty, thirty-five yeah. was the range. But I will agree with you that as more millennials and more Americans are getting into it, uh, an American will pay extra mm-hmm. for a little bit more of that comfort, mm-hmm. a little more of that security, a little bit more of that cleanliness, and you can actually, I think, break through a ceiling when you sure. do that because if you were to just run a bare bone operation that's very slimline. that backpacker is kind of disappearing a bit where it was i want as little as possible so i can pay you as little as possible that model in america doesn't work very well Mm -hmm. if you want americans right and i think a lot of us that are getting into this industry are getting into it because we want to expose it to the american demographic and we want them in here so if we're going to do that we've got to play to our demographic and that's gonna make a nicer hostel. And I think it is worth it to put the extra money in. And I think that the guest demographic will happily pay for it. So I think you're on the right line there.
2: And that's the biggest component is the quality. Yeah. That if you're gonna if you're willing to put it into upfront, building a space that's clean and safe, those mm. are my two biggest Foundations. things. Yep. Because again, that, that perception mm. issue, we're we're all collectively as a as an industry trying to yes. heal what's mm. been broken yes. in the sense yes. of a perception and to do that I feel like you have to really put your best foot forward and invest in some things. Yeah. Um, we specifically as a brand are really passionate about um, the technology component, making mm-hmm. sure guests feel like they have easy access to what they need, mm-hmm. um, but that their belongings are safe and mm-hmm. secure and that they feel safe and secure. Yeah. Uh, and so we've got, gone above and beyond what may be required or may what maybe what works mm-hmm. or even what's necessarily expected in some cases from those who have hostled across the, the globe yeah. by putting in like – Card entry and, yes. and using tools like being able to scan your phone rather yeah. than your key card yeah. to really target the the demographic of the millennials used to those tools, used yeah. to that functionality, yeah. expects it in a sense, yes. um, and and then really encouraging the safety component so that the, the community understands that you know we're not a brothel, mm. we're not some frat house, it's we're not, not house we're not willy nilly people. like yeah. just doing you know allowing whoever and Whomever to come in, yeah, in the sense of like, um, that that local struggle with the halfway house kind of mm-hmm. feel, yeah, and and I felt like targeting a very specific audience, especially that digital nomad who mm. may be a career based individual mm. who has the income, yeah, the but is sense. still willing to, to look for an experience, cut yeah. costs by only paying fifty bucks a night instead of going to a hotel where they're paying a hundred, mm. um, and. And giving them something that, quite frankly, they can't get anywhere else. No, you know, no. they they can't have that experience. And so, David hounds me on details, details, details. And I, and I agree a hundred percent that yeah. it is all in the details. And if you can demonstrate that you have that guest experience as the forefront of your mind when they're yeah. checking in they're not going to blink if they're paying oh, 40 to 50 bucks a night. They're happy
1: to pay for it if they can see it reinvested into the product. Exactly. It's when you feel like you're getting scammed is Right. when you're like right. I'm paying too much for this. Right. And as long as you put it into your product and you stand behind your product and uh, which I know you will, you know, then that guest will happily pay for it. Now, in closing, what does modal mean?
2: So, modal uh, has several meanings actually from a definition standpoint. Mm-hmm. It comes from uh, the realm of transportation ah. uh, so modal or modality is okay. moving one thing from one place to another so okay. think of like uh, a railroad to a barge to an airliner yes like you're okay. taking shipments and you're putting them on different modes of transportation okay and so it's this idea that things are constantly in motion yes um, and so our symbol or icon is kind of a, a wheel or a hub mm-hmm. in your set, but it plays to the idea that I wanted to be the hub of the creative ah. culture so it it's got kind of a duality. You're the modal uh, of Greenville. Exactly. I like um, it. And and we're always in motion. You know, things may look different when you come the second time. I may have new furniture. I may you know, sell the artwork that's on my walls. I may have things that are Different, so that's stagnant. Exactly, and no. that's why our slogans visit often because we want you to come back. We yeah. want you to reexperience it. That it, the room accommodations will always be the quality that you expect, mm-hmm. but the experience itself will be different.
1: That's cool. Um, I, I and like so that's that.
2: that's what modal means. But it also plays into modal is a type of fiber used okay. in linens, which okay. is our industry hospitality. Obviously. Yeah. It also is a term used in music. So. It plays to all the different facets of our, our business. That's and a great I branding And I felt like right it there. was a like really, that. really good um, encapsulation of a, a very big vision.
1: Cool. Oh, now that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. And we greatly appreciate it. And we're inspired to see that you didn't give up yeah. and that you are bringing in South Carolina's second ever hostel. And for you listeners out there, keep Greenville on your map and keep the modal on your radar Because this place is going to be a badass experience, and you can't miss it. So stay tuned for more episodes. We're heading to the Hostel in the Forest next. And from there, we truck on into the Southwest Season 4. Until next time.